Uh, well, I'm so used to saying good morning, but it's good afternoon now. So, oh, there we go. See, I, ha- I have a PowerPoint, and for those that you know in our congregation, they know I usually don't do PowerPoint. So, you know, there it goes. Hey. So, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at a passage this morning. Um, as I was thinking and, and praying about what to preach on, uh, I, I thought about uh, the theme of suffering and. For me, there's one, one particular passage that just encapsulates the idea of the Christian in suffering, and that's 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19 this morning. And I'd like to start out by reading a particular um, account for you. As we think about suffering, we, we think about all of the martyrs. And if you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, it just, it's an impressive account of the, just the litany of suffering that the early church went through. It's just an impressive, impressive tome, and I really encourage you because your heart will be broken and your heart will be encouraged just at the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of our fellow brethren from all eternity. Uh, there we go. So now we're up. So I'd like to read an account. This is of Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna, He was martyred on Saturday, the 23rd of February, A.D. 155. And when the proconsul gave him a choice of cursing the name of Christ and making a sacrifice to Caesar, he said, Eighty and six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul threatened him with burning, and Polycarp replied, You threaten me with a fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched. For you do not know the fire which awaits the wicked in the judgment to come and in everlasting punishment. Why are you waiting? Come, do what you will. Proconsul said, I have respect for your age. He said, simply say, away with the atheist and I'll set you free. And by the atheist he meant all the Christians because they wouldn't worship the polytheistic gods and wouldn't worship Caesar. And Polycarp looked at, looked at the proconsul and he pointed to the crowd of Roman pagans and he said, Away with the atheists! And then he was burned at the stake. And his martyrdom brought glory to God. Well, when we hear of these accounts, we, we think about all of the sacrifices and all the suffering that not only believers in the early church went through, but we think about the suffering of believers even today. And you can't help but hear questions when we hear about the suffering. And we're going to be looking at common questions today that are asked when we see and we hear of tremendous suffering. And these questions are one I've heard over the years. And the great thing about this passage and the great thing about the Word of God is that the Word of God answers our questions. You, know, you feel like you see questions or you see things around you and you wonder, well, you know, why do Christians suffer? Well, the answer is in God's Word. If you've ever been impugned or, or slandered or made fun of or laughed at because you chose to live obediently to Christ, there's an answer for that. If you've ever faced intense persecution, lost a job, had a business boycotted, because of the name of Christ, you're not alone. If you've ever faced physical violence or heard of physical violence, you're not alone. In that, the churches in 
what's today modern-day Asia, or modern-day, excuse me, Turkey, Asia Minor, were going through the same kind of intense persecution. The churches that Peter was writing to in 1 Peter, they didn't know if the next day would be their last, and they were undergoing different varied types of persecution. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, Peter actually says that you have been distressed by various trials. The word various has to do with multifaceted trials. You see, it wasn't one cookie-cutter trial that they were all facing. It varied from, from slander to, ma- to malicious intent and destroying of reputations. It varied from boycotting of businesses and, and the resulting poverty to all the way to physical violence. See, this is the beginning of the great persecution that lasted over 200 years for the church of God. And so Peter's writing this, and he's writing this to encourage these believers during a time of trouble and, he, and to challenge them to, to walk worthy of their calling, to do their duty as Christians in a world that dislikes and hates them. And so the, the, the goal for us today as we look at this particular passage is we're going to be answering some common questions My prayer for you is that you'd be encouraged and challenged to walk with Christ in the midst of suffering. So the the first question that we're going to be looking at today, I hit the wrong button, there we go, is we're going to be looking at why believers suffer. Oh, pardon me, let's go ahead and read the text. Read the text and then we'll deal with the first question. So chapter 4 of 1 Peter, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that you may, at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for the judgment to begin with the household of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not have the gospel of God? For if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. So the first question we're going to look at today is we're going to be looking at why do Christians suffer? Right? That's a, that's a common question I hear over the years. Why do Christians suffer? Well, Peter gives the answer. If you look down in verse 12, he says, Do not be surprised... For the fiery ordeal that comes upon you, which comes upon you for your testing. That is the purpose of a trial for the believer, to test you. The idea here is that the testing is approving the worth of. Right? We're testing. All right? The, the word in Greek is parosmos, and it can be used for either a temptation, Satan tempted Jesus, right? That particular passage, the word is here, or it can be used the idea of a trial. Right? All it depends on is perspective. So when you're going through a time of difficulty, and you're going through a time of trial, know that God is testing you. He is, he is testing your faith. He's testing to see what your response will be. If you will trust Him, if you will respond appropriately, right? 
Because when in, in every trial that we go through, in every moment of suffering, there's an intent by God to, to conform us to Christ's image. Right? He's working and willing in our life to make us more like Christ. And he, He's testing to see if our faith is real. It only tests the body in its sense, in the big sense. Tests the church to see if the church is pure, but He tests us as individuals. Right? So He's testing you. And how we respond shows the quality of our faith. It shows the maturity. Because when you go through testing, the, the, the natural tendency is to, what, to respond in, in bitterness and anger and resentment. But where we respond in faith and trust because we, we know that God is working this, that God is bringing this into our life in His sovereign plans. Okay, So He's testing our faith. Right? And He also says that He does it, He says, for a refining. Look at this. He says the fiery ordeal. I, I love this term. It's a, it means burning. The only other time it's in Scripture is in Revelation 18 when it talks about the, the great harlot, the city of Babylon, burning. Right? Now, we all live in, a, in an area that is pr- uh, prone to fires. Right? Uh, in Southern California, we had great wildfires that would just burn through. In fact, there were some really large ones before I moved that would just burned tremendous amount of acreage. Uh, only, fortunately, only a couple people lost their lives, millions of dollars in property, Australia, South Australia has a history of fires. So the idea is it's, a, it's an intense burning, a, 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 a purification process. The word has to do with heat to remove dross. Now a common illustration that is used in this passage is of a silversmith. And the silversmith, he takes the, the rock silver ore and he crushes it and he adds tremendous amount of heat and he purifies that. And I went through and I looked at that process, and it's actually a process that it takes multiple times of heating. So the silversmith would take that silver rock and he would heat it, and then he would scrape off the dross, and he would let it cool. And then he would heat it again, and ultimately he would do this seven times to the point that that silver, if it would be absolutely pure, he could look at it and he could see his reflection in the silver. So you think about the Christian life and you think about the trials and suffering that you go through. The number of times that you have to go through that trial is determined by the Lord, but He's doing it so that when He looks at you, He sees the reflection of Christ. So you go through fiery trials. You go through a fiery ordeal which comes upon you for the purpose of your testing. And Peter makes the point, he says, look, don't be surprised. The word actually is a command in the Greek. It's imperative. Don't be surprised. It's not strange that you're going through suffering. When I was young, my my cousin and I, we loved to stay up late. We were uh, young men, and we loved to stay up late, and we'd watch horror movies. It was our thing. We, our parents, we'd have sleepovers, and uh, we grew up with each other. We were great friends, and we'd watch horror movies, and we, we'd love the, the surprise, you know, something jumping out at you. We love the twist, the, the strange endings, and we have got good memories. We don't remember the, the horror movies. We remember the, the great times of fellowship we had staying and watching those movies. Peter says, look, don't be surprised. Stop being shocked if you face opposition as a Christian. Right? Know that when you face opposition for the name of Christ, it is in God's plan. Right? God has ordained it. It's for your testing. Right? 
when you, when you know something is coming, right, it kind of relieves the anxiety and fear, right? If you ever, and I, I use this same illustration, if you've, if you've seen a horror movie before and you know it's coming, right, it's, it's not really something that's going to cause you fear. You say, oh, yep, he's getting ready to jump out of that closet. Oh, don't open the door because you know it's coming. Right? The knowledge that, that there's a purpose behind something causes us to, to trust the Lord more, right? And have less fear. So when you're going through suffering in your life for being a Christian, know that it's for purpose. Know that it's, it's for your testing to prove your faith, to strengthen your faith in the Lord. Right? When God brings those, those fiery things in your life, those, that opposition you face, it really focuses your heart and your mind on the Lord. Because you realize the thing is this, of this world, what they go strangely dim as we're facing opposition, and you realize what, what really matters is the, the eternal glory that we have in Christ. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But he says, don't be surprised. It's not abnormal if you go through suffering for Jesus. Right? Don't be, don't be surprised. A little word here for strange is it's xenos. We get our word for xenophobia or a fear of uh, what's alien or foreign. Right? It's not alien. It's not foreign that you suffer. Right? So when you face opposition at work, you face opposition at uni, you face opposition wherever, whether it's from a government or from an individual, because of the name of Christ, don't think it's strange. Expect it. Expect that as a Christian in this world, we're going to face opposition. Jesus actually says in John 15, 8, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The world hates Jesus and it's going to hate His people. You see, from Peter's day, this, the, this, this type of living, living obediently to Christ, is go, calls them to come in opposition and in conflict with the Roman value system, right? It's no different for this today, right? We, we believe in God's Word. We believe in following God's Word. We come into contact with a world system that hates us, that doesn't believe in the Bible as the truth. It doesn't believe God's Word. It doesn't believe that we should live according to God's Word. Right? You speak out against the evils of society and you will face... Opposition. Brethren, we will suffer because we're followers of Christ and we shouldn't be surprised at slander, malice, rejection, and ultimately even physical violence. And that's Peter's point here. Is don't be surprised. Don't let, don't let the vent itself cause you pain and suffering. Know that it, it comes for a reason. Bless the... Sammy's last few messages just talking about the sovereignty of God in working in, in the life of, of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. The, the God, same God that was sovereign over their lives is sovereign over yours as well. So the first question that Peter kind of addresses, excuse me, here, he says that he says that you can know why you suffer. Or why do Christians suffer? Well, the second question is is what attitude should you have in suffering? Peter answers this as well. He says in verse 13, but to the degree which you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that you 
also, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. And he says, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and God rests on you. So what attitude should you have? You should have an attitude of continual rejoicing. I don't know if you guys, that's not my first response when you suffer, right? But see, that's a, that's a response that requires a mental, uh, a mental dedication in the sense that I'm going to resolve myself to rejoice. So there's a human element involved, but there's also a spirit empowerment. What, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, right? Joy. So not only is it, is it a, a, a resolve in your mind that I'm going to respond to suffering with joy, but it's the Holy Spirit empowering you to continue in that attitude of joy. Right? It's a continual choice in that we're empowered we're, by the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1, for those of you that were in my, uh, heard my sermon last week, we're strengthened with all power for steadfastness and patience. Steadfastness is is hard circumstances. We're strengthened for hard circumstances. We're strengthened for with patience, long suffering for hard people, right? So we're we're strengthened by the Holy Spirit for for steadfastness and patience for for patience with circumstances and patience with hard people. We have all the power we need through God Himself, and not only. Should we have this attitude? But that, that joy is based on Christ and based on God Himself. God doesn't change. What a wonderful, a wonderful thing for us to think about is the fact that the, the God that delivered the Israelites, the, the God that has the power to, to part the Red Sea, right? the God that has done those wonderful miracles in the Old Testament, right? God that that all those wonderful things has indwelt us and empowers us to live for Him in the face of opposition and suffering. Right? And Peter builds, he says, not only should you have that continual rejoicing, right? You should have that continual rejoicing, but you should exult. I love this for He says you should rejoice with exultation. The word for exultation means to jump with joy. Literally in the Greek, it means jump with joy. Can you imagine when Christ comes back and you've been rejoicing in your trial and you've been giving Him glory and you've responded in the right way knowing that the the trial, the suffering is for your testing and then He comes back and you're, you're even rejoicing even more. You're rejoicing with exultation at the fact that your Savior has returned. Praise the Lord. No more suffering. No more pain. We get to be with Him for all eternity. Praise God. I love in Acts 5, the, the apostles, they, they're going away from the, the council Sanhedrin, the, the Sanhedrin council bringing the apostles before them. They say, what are you preaching? Why are you preaching? And they say, we're preaching Christ. And at the end, in Acts 5.41, they flog them. And they say, don't preach Christ anymore. It says, it says this, it says, so they went out on their way from the council. They rejoiced that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. Brethren, there's a monument in Oxford, in Great Britain, called the Martyr's Monument. And on that plaque, it's to commemorate Thomas Cramer, Nicholas Ridley, and Hugh Latimer. And on that plaque, it says, To the glory of God and in grateful commemoration of His servants, 
Thomas Cramner, Nicholas Ridley, and Hugh Latimer, prelates of the Church of England, who near this spot yielded their bodies to be burned, bearing witness to the sacred truths that they had affirmed and maintained against the errors of the Church of Rome, and rejoicing that to them it was given, not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for His sake. Brethren, what attitude should you have in suffering? We should have a, a joyful one. Right? We should count it worthy that we should suffer. Right? And he says, for the degree which you share the sufferings of Christ, he's not saying we suffer the exact same things that Christ suffered. The idea is we're suffering for doing what's right. If you live on this earth obedient to God's Word, you live according to what is right, you will face opposition. You people will slander you. In fact, verse, uh, verse 4 of chapter 4 says, the, talking about the unbelievers, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation and they malign you. They malign you because you don't follow the same flood of sin as they do. You will face opposition. You will suffer where there's a purpose. right? And when you suffer, there should have a right attitude. Right? Listen, our natural response to suffering is resentment and can lead to bitterness. Why me, O oh Lord? Why am I going through this? Lord, when, what's going on? It's so tough. We can even allow that bitterness to, to develop into envy. Like, why aren't other Christians experiencing the same opposition that I am? Or, or even anger at God. God, why are you doing this to me? Just know that the vaccine for bitterness is focusing in on the results of that trial, which is ultimately looking like Christ. The vaccine for that bitterness is focusing in on the God who always has our best interests at heart. So, first question is, why do Christians suffer? The second question is, what attitude should we have in suffering? And the third question is, there we go. Are there different kinds of suffering? All right. So Peter says, look, in verse 15, he says, make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a troublesome meddler. So he says it in the Greek, it's, it's very specific. It's a command. He says, absolutely none of you suffer as a, for, for doing evil. Right? Make sure there's absolutely no way that you should suffer for doing wrong. Right? So don't suffer for a murder as a murderer. Like Peter even, even makes the caveat that they could respond in an evil way. When you're faced with physical violence, don't return violence in kind. Don't suffer like the murderer who deserves his punishment. Right? Matthew 5:39. We turn if, if someone hits you on one cheek, you turn the other cheek. Romans 12 speaks of leaving room for the wrath of God. Romans 12, 14-21. And vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We, we leave the judgment upon others to God. Don't respond as a thief. You know, when you're going through intense persecution and someone's boycotting your business and you're not getting any income coming in and your family is poor and you're not living the same lifestyle you were, What's the temptation? The temptation is, well, I can do something about it. Right? And the temptation is, well, maybe I, I'll just take a little bit of the money at work. 
Right? The temptation is we can, be, we, can, we can fall into that temptation and we can be a thief. Right? That's responding the opposite way that we should in temptation and trials, and that's trusting the Lord. We can be, a, be an evildoer. He says, don't suffer for being an evildoer. Right over here in, the, in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, he said that, Peter says that God has given government. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. That's the purpose of government, by the way. Protect innocent and punish evildoers. Don't be an evildoer. Don't be a lawbreaker. Right? I used to, I used to do a lot of college students, and I remember when this guy coming in one time, to, he was late to um, the, the college ministry, and I talked to him afterwards. I said, hey, brother, what's going on? He goes, oh, man, I'm being persecuted for the Lord. I said, oh, wow, well, well tell me about it. He goes, I was, I was on my way here, and I, I got a ticket by the police. They're persecuting me. I said, oh, yeah? I said, were you speeding? He goes, well, yeah. <laughs> I said, that's not persecution, brother. I said, that's justice, right? He uh, and that's the point, right? We, uh, we don't suffer for lawbreaking. If you're going to suffer, Peter's like, if you're going to suffer, suffer for doing right, not for doing wrong. Right? Suffer for good, not evil. And I love this troublesome meddler. It's, don't, don't suffer for being a busybody. I remember talking to somebody at work one time, uh, and they just said, you know, everybody doesn't like me. I, you know, it's because I'm a Christian. And, you know, I, I didn't work with this person. I was just kind of listening to what they're saying. I'm like, well, we'll pray for you, brother. Well, then, well, then I actually met one of his coworkers, and they're like, what? We, we don't care that he's a Christian. He just talks about everybody behind their backs all the time. Right? The reason he was facing opposition and he was suffering, as he called it, was that he was a meddler. He was a busybody. He was a gossip. One of the greatest, greatest stories I've ever heard, my, my mentor told me a story. He was preaching at a church, and I, you know, he was the pastor there. And this lady, after, after the service, this lady comes walking up the aisle, and she's stomping up the aisle, and she comes up and she says, Pastor, Pastor! And he's like, yes, yes, what, what can I do for you? And she said, do you know that, that, that John is cheating on his taxes? And he looks at her and he goes, well, does John know that you're a gossip? <laughs> she just stunned, and she turned around and walked away. She was making an accusation against her brother without any proof based on something she had heard. Right? Don't suffer for being a busybody or a gossip. If you're suffering for evil, it's not God-ordained and it's not in God's will. Right? And, that, and that also brings me, as I was thinking about different types of suffering, there's, there's suffering for doing right, and that's what we've been talking about. Right? Suffering for doing the right thing. Suffering for Christ. And Peter just warned them, don't suffer for doing evil. But I started thinking about it, and since we're on the topic, what are, what are some other types of suffering? Well, there's suffering because of your actions. There's consequences for sin. You guys have heard the phrase, you reap what you sow. Right? That's a common phrase. You know it's out of Galatians? How many knew it was out of Galatians? Galatians 6, 7, 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. And it's just talking about the law of, of cause and effect that God has put in effect in this universe. Right? You, you, you sow what you, what you, what you reap. You, you sow corn, you reap corn. Right? If, you, if you live a life based on the sword, you die by the sword. Right? If, you, if, you're, if you're ingesting drugs and, and your, your body starts shutting down because of overdose of drug use, it's a consequence. 
And it even goes even further in the sense that even in, in Exodus, when Moses asked God, show me, show me your glory, show me who you are, basically, God said, well, I can't do that, you would die. So he hit him in a cleft of a rock, and he made his backside kind of go in front of Moses in the rock. And, and even God's backside caused the whole mountain to shake. And in the midst of that, you, you heard, Moses heard a voice and said, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness of truth, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the sons and the, to the third and fourth generation. So when you think about this, God is just. And when he talks about iniquity, the sin that you commit today will and can affect multiple generations. Right? Think about that for a moment. The sin that you commit can affect your grandchildren. Right? I've known families where the, the, the father and the mother treated the, the kids in a certain way and then the, they wouldn't even let their grandkids, their kids, have any interaction with their parents. Right? So sin has consequences. So don't suffer because of your foolish actions and know that things that happen in this universe, things that happen in this world, there's, there's consequences. Right? You, you drink a lot of alcohol and you get liver poisoning, kidney poisoning. Right? There's a consequence. There's also suffering because we live in a sinful world. There's, there's evil acts that are a result of the fallen world we live in. Sin is both intentional and irrational. Right? You walk down the street. You hear of a story, somebody walking down the street and they get, they get robbed and they get killed. It was random. And we hear of a story of a father or a husband killing his wife out of anger. Sin is intentional and irrational. We live in a fallen world. Romans 8.22 says that the whole creation groans for, the, for, the, for when the saints... Right? will be consummated in glory. In other words, when Christ comes back, the creation is groaning for Christ's return so that the saints will be glorified and the curse will be lifted and there will be a new heavens and a new earth. We live in a world of chaos. Right? 1 John 5.20 said that Satan is the ruler of this world. He holds the world in his hand that because man disobeyed in Genesis 3 that man forfeited his rightful place as ruler of this world. That won't be restored until we rule with Christ. Satan is the God of this age. He loves the chaos. He loves sin. He was a murderer from the beginning. So we live in a world, when we hear of hurricanes and floods and earthquakes, we live in a corrupt world that's in chaos. Don't be surprised. The human body decays. You realize, uh, Benji's a, a doctor, you realize that medicine is a stall? S-T-A-L-L, a stall, right? We're only stalling the natural effects of sin. We're all going to die. If that's a surprise, I'm sorry, I didn't want to ruin it for you, right? We're, we're all going to die. Medicine is a stall. And praise God for modern medicine. I do believe that, that modern medicine is God's grace gift to our generation in that even in the midst of untold depravity that He's given mod, us modern medicine in that we're able to extend life. Diseases which wiped out thousands, even a hundred years ago, typhoid, polio, we have vaccines. I think that's God's grace, His, His common grace to man. Right? The human body decays. Right? 
We lose our hair. We get older. Some of us are more decayed than others, right? right? There's, there's suffering because of this sinful world. So yes, there's different types of suffering. Suffer for doing right, not for evil. Know that there's suffering because of your actions. Just a common cause and effect. Know that there's suffering because we live in a sinful world. So the next question Peter has is, well, how should should we respond? How should you respond in suffering? Look at verse 16. But if anyone suffers, sorry, if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? So Peter actually has a double command here. He says, don't be ashamed, but glorify God. Right? When you think about being ashamed for Christ, you're thinking about someone who is opposing you and you want to you want to you want to rid yourself of that uncomfort rid yourself of that that pain of their opposition okay and i'll put it to you like this so if if you're afraid then that's what ultimately when you're ashamed you become afraid you're afraid of being hurt you're going to speak less about christ right if you're if you're ashamed of Christ's name, you're not going to tell people that you're a Christian. You're going to be at work and you're going to be that kind of undercover Christian. The one that secretly is a Christian and doesn't say anything so that you won't face any jokes. Somebody won't call you a bigot because you believe that homosexuality is a sin. Right? Peter says, don't be ashamed. And and I love this, he says, to suffer as a Christian. The word Christian was first given to the brethren, the believers, by pagans in Antioch. They were making fun of them. Oh, you're Christ followers. You're, you, you follow that, that Christ guy who died and, and says he rose again. The Christians took on that name to themselves and said, yeah, we'll, we'll bear that name. We'll be Christians. Right? So Peter says, don't be ashamed don't, don't lead it to immobilize you so that you don't live your life. I was reading an article, not, I was reading it last night about the, um, uh, there's a recent movie, it's kind of one of those suspenseful movies where they actually don't speak throughout the whole movie. Um, it was an interesting movie, they, they go through and then all these things happen to them, and, but they don't say any, wor- any, any words in the movie. And it was a big commercial hit, and in the movie theater, you know, it, Everybody loved it. It made a lot of money. But actually, the movie theater companies hated it because they make all their money, or most of their money, from popcorn and drinks and candy. And what was happening in the theaters in this movie when, when there was no sound, there's no music, no words, is that people were being shamed as they were eating their, their M&Ms, <laughs> eating the popcorn. And people would look at them and go, shh, shh. And so, so the movie theaters didn't sell their normal allotment of popcorn and candy and all this because people were ashamed to eat. They, I, don't want, I don't want people to say anything to me. Brethren, don't, don't be ashamed of Christ. Take glory in that name. Glorify Him. Live a life esteeming God, knowing what? That, that their purpose in that trial, you're rejoicing in that trial, and you're responding in a way that give God the glory. If you read Fox Book of Martyrs and you, and you read the accounts of the early church, 
How many of those, and we'll, this would be great to find out in heaven, how many of those who witnessed the terrible suffering of our fellow believers around the world came to Christ through the faithful testimony of those believers? I look forward to hearing stories, and maybe even some of you have those stories, of, of how you witness somebody respond in a way that just is impossible to persecution or uh, slander or being constantly made fun of because of their faith in Christ. Don't be ashamed. Glorify God. Live your life without compromise and without the fear of man. When I was young, I went to this summer camp. <clears throat> this missionary got up and he was telling us great things God was doing in a foreign land. And it might have been, um, it might have been Sammy when I was really young. And uh, he, I'm just kidding, making fun of his age, uh, but a missionary, and he, he was just, he basically asked the question, would you die for Christ? Of course, oh yeah, we'll die for Christ, absolutely. He said, all right, put your hands down. He said, I don't want you to respond to this with your hands. He said, but now how many of you are willing to live for Christ? And he got really quiet and everybody just kind of listened. He said, would you live for Christ every day? Would you live for Christ by taking time to read your Bible? Would you spend time with God in prayer? Would you tell your neighbor about Jesus? Would you sacrifice some of your income to support the work of the ministry at church? Are you willing to die to yourself to glorify God on a daily basis? We think about that's how we die for Christ. We think about it, I'm going to die as a missionary in a foreign land. We die every day for Christ. When we live for Him, right? We're a target of suffering. We're a target of the world's animosity. So not only does he, not only do we we glorify God and we're not going to be ashamed, but he does it to sort out humanity. Look around in verse seventeen. For it is time for the judgment to begin with God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel? He sorts it out. He's talking about judgment, chastening, purification. We're not condemned as believers. Romans eight said, "There's no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus." If the fire begins now and is burning through the church, purifying the church and purifying us, then just think of the terrible burning judgment that awaits unbelievers. Right, believers, we are not told that this is our best life now. Right? It's not our best life. For unbelievers, it is their best life now, and then there's hell. For us, the best life is in the future when we're with Christ for all eternity. We can't imagine the glories that await us with Jesus forever and ever. So how should you respond? We should respond by glorifying God in His name. And then the final, final question, how long will the suffering last? It's a common question. Peter says in verse 19, Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. So the answer to how long it will last, and you guys are all waiting for breathless, how, how long is it going to last? Well, the answer, trust God. That's the answer. Right? Peter says, if you're suffering according to the will of God, and you suffer according to the will of God when you suffer for what is right, then entrust Place your complete faith in. That's what the word means because God is in control and He loves you. 
Romans 8.28 says that God works everything for your good, and that good is conformity to Christ's image. And He uses the fires of persecution and opposition in this world to conform you to Christ's likeness. He uses those fires to purify His church, to separate the goats. Right? So entrust yourself to God. Chapter 5, he says that, verse 10, after you have suffered for a little while. So the answer is, how long is the suffering? It's a little while. How long is a little while? Ask God. A little while is how long He determines. Right? Trust God. Brethren, I recently read an article by the British Foreign Secretary in which he ordered a review of worldwide Christian persecution. This happened earlier this year. And he, quote, he said there's a quote, worrying upward trend end quote, in persecution in 2019. Among those countries where acts of violence and open hostilities increasing are, among others, Nigeria, India, China. In Nigeria, there's been over 6,000 deaths and 50,000 Christians made homeless in attacks. In China, there's been a clampdown on a religious activity banning children and young people from church meetings. And many house churches have been attacked and closed. In India, there's been a re-election of the Hindu nationalist government in which many states have passed anti-prosentizing laws and there have been riots against Christians. Brethren, it's going to get worse the longer the Lord tarries. Already Christians in Western countries were finding it hard to speak out the truth because of opposition. You say you're a Christian and you're called bigot, homophobe, intolerant. There's going to be a time, even in the West, where we will face persecution from a physical violence standpoint. It always escalates. But what a great comfort we have in knowing that God is in control. I'd like to read, include with this passage, chapter 5, verse 6. This is the end of the book of 1 Peter. Now Peter's writing to, remember he's writing to suffering Christians. Verse 6. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxiety, your worries on Him because He cares for you. Be of sober spirit and be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist Him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Brethren, I pray that as we've gone through this passage, some questions will be answered. Why Christians suffer? What attitude you should have in suffering? The different kinds of suffering? How should you respond in suffering? And then how long you should suffer? Praise God that He's in control. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, what great comfort it is for us 
to live knowing that you are sovereign over suffering. You're sovereign over trials in our life, that they have a purpose. Help us to respond with joy, to respond with uh, an attitude of glorifying you. Help us not to be ashamed of the fact that we're Christians. Lord, help us to remember that there's going to be a day where we will jump for joy at the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us focus not on the things of this world, but on the, just the joy and the glory that awaits us, the inheritance that we have in Christ. Father, give us strength to bear up under trial. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You are a faithful Creator and that You will always do what is right. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.